what that sound means you guys here we go a lot has gone down in the last couple of days in the reuben foster saga i'm jd joined as always by tone and jp this is the forever faithful podcast and as always it is for the faithful by the faithful guys we have been inundated with tons of 49er news these last few days. So you know that we had to come on here this week in episode six of the Forever Faithful podcast and uh, just give you guys an update on all things going on with your San Francisco 49ers. But first and foremost, we, we want to get into this Reuben Foster talk heavy because there has been so much that has happened if you haven't heard, you're obviously living under a rock. Reuben Foster had his preliminary hearing uh, this past Thursday, May 17th. His ex-girlfriend and, and accuser, Alicia Ennis, testified on the stand. Witnesses testified on the stand. There was cross-examinations, new evidence, uh, new stories, new details everywhere. And uh, if you were a Niner fan on Twitter that day, you were able to just re refresh Twitter constantly and read new tweets from uh, you know, all the Niner beat writers, Matt Mayoko, Matt Barrows, uh, you know, everybody that was there in the courtroom. David Lombardi uh, from The Athletic had perhaps the most comprehensive breakdown of everything that was said in the courtroom that day. Uh, now, the media was not allowed to tweet uh, live during the proceedings but every time that they would go to recess, all the media would immediately grab their phones, put out the details that they heard, and uh, throughout the day, it just got deeper and deeper and deeper and crazier and crazier and crazier. So, without further ado, JP, man, I I know you have some stuff you want to say about this. Let's have uh, let's have you give a breakdown of kind of how things went that day and give us your overall thoughts on what we learned. Oh boy, what a couple of weeks it's been in this whole Ruben Foster saga, man. I tell you, I feel like I feel like all the Niner fans this week are now uh, certified lawyers or uh, you know, criminal justice justice experts now after uh, after knowing everything that's been going on, but it's best it's definitely been a crazy week. I mean, if you guys have been totally out of the loop, um, I'll kind of break it down a little bit. Uh, JD did mention uh, David Lombardi from The Athletic. If you want any information, just go read his whole Twitter feed. He has everything there. 
um, that you need. I'm going to try to summarize it as best I can for you guys, uh, for any of you guys that have been out of the loop. So to start from the very, very beginning, uh, February 10th, uh, Miss Ennis, who is uh, Ruben Foster's now ex-girlfriend, uh, she, she supposedly got into uh, some type of fight altercation uh, that came from a road rage incident. I guess she, I don't know, something on the streets, somebody cut her off, whatnot. I don't know. I guess she got into a fight then. Um, the next day, uh, Ennis and Foster get into a huge argument. I guess Foster wants to break it off, cut ties with her, and she just goes bananas. She wants to, you know, ruin his career. She says, you know, I'm, I'm done with you. I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to make sure that, you know, your career is going to be over after this. I'm going to say that you hit me, blah, 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 blah. Just like she said she was going to go to the 49ers and let the Niners know. Like, she's she's gone off her rocker. Um, so then that night, she calls police. Um, she said that Ruben Foster beat her um, and everything else. Ruben Foster was arrested. Also that night, I want to make a quick note, quick note of this. Uh, she also testified this, um, that she, when she... Uh, uh, notified police. Before, I think it was before she notified police, she ran out uh, onto the street and flagged a car down, uh, an innocent bystander, and said that she was beaten up by her boyfriend, Ruben Foster. Um, but uh, I guess they, they had the that witness there, the person that she flagged down, and she said that she didn't seem, you know, erratic or anything. She was really, really calm. There was no bruising or cuts or anything like that. She seemed, you know, unfazed by the situation she just came out and told the the, the innocent bystander hey i'm uh I, I just got beat up by my boyfriend so that's another little bit of a red flag there um so yep still on february 11th foster was arrested that night um and then this is where it gets kind of crazy uh detectives were uh interviewing uh, this young lady about the whole situation um and she brought up that she did get into a fight um this is this is a big key in 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 this whole situation. She said that she got into a fight the night before uh, that supposedly Ruben beat her. She let the detective know. She let the police officers know that she got into a fight before she got into a fight with Ruben. She said that that's that's where all these cuts and bruises and supposedly ruptured eardrum came from. So I thought that's just keep that in mind. Um, Another uh, big key in this in this uh, timeline is March 13th, March 13th. She's uh, aware that there's a video of this fight. That occurred from this road rage incident. So there's a video of it that she got into a fight where there she ruptured her eardrum and all this type of stuff. Um, April 12th, the Santa Clara's D.A. office uh, formally charges Foster with three felonies. Um, I guess when they raided his house, they also found guns. So I think that's one of the felonies and and whatnot. Um, and then April 26 come out and uh, Ennis comes out and says uh, she lied. She lied about all of it. Ruben didn't hit her. Nothing happened. Nothing at all. So I thought that was really interesting. Uh, the 17th, which was a couple of days ago, she uh, this is when she she went up onto the and testified. She said, hey, I lied about everything. I was trying to ruin his career. I was trying to get money. She said once Ruben was arrested, she I guess she went back into the house, stole a bunch of money, stole uh, Rolexes uh, and all this stuff. And I think the biggest thing that I took away from her uh, testifying 
is that she said back in 2011, she had this same situation. She falsely accused an ex-boyfriend who wanted to break up with her. She falsely accused him of beating her, which is not true. She went to jail. She, 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 she served jail time for this and everything else. Um, so that's that's a little bit of the breakdown of, of, of what happened. Um, also, uh, during the during the trial um, a couple of days ago, um, the detective and, and the police officers were also questioned and they were also asked about, hey, she told you that she was in a fight a day before supposedly Ruben beat her. Why didn't you guys look into that further? And that's a big that's that's a big testimony right there. They I guess they couldn't they, you know, dodge the question and whatnot. So it's very interesting. Um, nothing really came out of it. Uh, as of now, the judge said that she's going to review, um, you know, the, the footage of the fight of the road rage incident. Uh, she's going to review a couple other stuff and uh, and just review, review everything. And then I think next Wednesday, the 23rd of May, she's going to make her ruling. So I think this whole thing is just a waste of time. The fact that the detectives and, and the police officers just ignored this fight that she told them that she got into just like, Oh yeah, it's whatever you, you know, whatever. It, that's just mind blowing. How you, that's, that's a big part of the, this case. Um, it's just crazy. It's silly. Ruben Foster is the victim here. He's got, you know, money's taken away. She even said she tried to ruin his career. Um, and, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. She, I mean, she needs to do some time for this. She's probably gonna go back to jail just like she did back in 2011 when she did this to a former boyfriend in Louisiana. So this is just absolutely nuts. Um, I've, like I said, everyone's, you know, uh, feels like they're criminal justice experts now trying to dissect this and, and whatnot. And you know what? A lot of people came out and apologized. A lot of, uh, a lot of people in the media came out and apologized and, you know, praise the Niners for standing, standing pat and, and just waiting to, 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 for everything to, to play out. And uh good thing they did because, uh, wow, what <laughs> this case really took when it first came out this, this, and to now this case really took a turn uh, for the better for Ruben Foster and for the 49ers. So, it's just absolutely crazy. Um, Tone, man, let me know what your thoughts on this crazy, crazy situation is. Yeah, crazy doesn't even describe this situation. Um, <laughs> like you said, it took a, a complete turn. Uh, ever since the story came out, you know, we, we, we said on this podcast that, you know, let due process take care of itself. You know, just let have let have the man have his day in court. That's the most important thing. It's innocent until proven guilty, and nobody seems to remember that. They 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 don't remember what uh, this country has uh, implemented over the years. And um, you know, we can talk about justice system, this and that, and a whole nother topic. But as far as a guy having his day in court before he is shamed to being innocent. I mean, uh, uh, guilty, you know, the, 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 let him prove himself, you know, before we just slander this man's name and, and basically just throw him to the wolves. I mean, look, domestic violence is a serious issue and it's, it's an issue in this country that, that or, or all over the world, but I mean, we're talking about this country. It is an issue that, that should not be taken lightly at all. And when it does happen, it, it needs to be 
taken very seriously. But the thing about it is when someone accuses somebody, you know, at least have the open mind to go ahead and let him try to counter, let him try to prove that he didn't do it. And, 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 you know, a lot of people are sitting there and saying that Reuben Foster is a, he, he's the guy who he has a, a past, he smokes weed, he, he, he does this, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, is that's, none of that is relevant to what this issue is. And what this issue is, is he is a victim of a complete liar, someone who's mentally unstable. And it sounds like a lot of people, and looking on social media, a lot of people, well, some are forgiving, but it seems like a lot of people are upset that Reuben Foster is innocent. And I, and I think this whole society today, everybody's just quick to judge anybody. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where you need to take a step back and realize what you're doing is wrong. Because he is a victim, and, and a lot of guys in these domestic violence cases are not looked as victims because... You know, they're they're the guy. But when someone lies about domestic violence and they're lying about it and a guy's life is totally ruined, his name, his career, his endorsements, he will always be he will always have this shadow over him for the rest of his career. No matter what happens for the rest of his career, he will always have this incident brought up when his name is brought up. You know, and, and people don't look at him as a victim. It's like they're upset, and and I don't I don't get why I, I really don't get it. You know, you you would want him not to do that, but you also wouldn't want is her to lie about what he did, because for the simple fact that there's a lot of cases out there that you know one of the things before I before I finish one of the things is a lot of people brought up that. You know, domestic violence uh, victims don't come out, you know, they're scared to and this and that. And I, I totally agree. And, and, and you know, it's one of those things where you have to review it case by case because domestic violence victims, real domestic violence victims, a lot of them are scared to come out or they come out years down the road. They're scared to get out of a relationship. A lot of people have died. A lot of people have got seriously injured. You know, this is a serious matter. It's a serious issue. But what about the flip side to that? What about someone who is taking advantage of people's sympathy, taking advantage of people automatically assuming the guy is guilty and going ahead and spreading lies and trying to ruin this man because she's hurt that he broke up with her. And the guy is sitting there who didn't hit her, who didn't throw a dog, who didn't do this and that. But now, all of a sudden, he's lost his job, lost his career, lost... We're in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. I'm sure he lost businesses outside of football. No one's going to want to deal with that. Endorsements and always have this thing over his head. 
What about that? Why is people why is people so upset that Reuben Foster that, that that she recanted and Reuben Foster didn't? Why is people so upset? People should be happy. But what should happen is that people need to take a look at her and look at her past and go ahead and say, hey, you know what? You almost ruined this man's life. You have to pay for it. So that's just my take on it. This whole um, case has been crazy, mind-blowing. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I'm just, um, just shocked how people are reacting to this. I mean, you still got people saying, oh, he paid her off. He did then. He paid. It's like, you know, look at the facts. Look at what's actually been testified under oath. Okay. She recanted two days after the incident. And yet we're still looking at this man like he's some sort of criminal. Who cares if he smokes weed? Who cares if he has guns? There's gun owners all over this country. Not to get into that subject, but who cares about that? That doesn't mean he's a a, a wife beater, a, 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 a person that commits domestic violence. You know, he's a big, young guy who plays football and, 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 and a minority. And, and, and everybody is looking to point the finger. And, and, and to me, it just really upsets me that, you know, nobody is showing any sympathy for Reuben Foster. Now, there's a couple media people that have apologized and recanted their earlier stories. But I just mean the, the overall general feel that I see on Twitter, the overall, you know, the, the, the different people's posts and opinions. And it just seems a lot of it is still that Reuben Foster is a bad guy. And it just upsets me that it's, it just upsets me because he's a guy who almost had everything taken away from him. He almost, he has 11 years looking at him, not only his career, but 11 years. And yet we, we're still pointing the finger at him saying he paid her off and he, he must've done this. Why, why do we, why do we live like that? Why, why, why do we live in a society that does that? Why can't he be innocent? She recanted her story. She prov provided proof. And she has a history of doing this before. So where's the sympathy for him? But before I close out, JD, before I get to you, I just want to say my whole little take on this is I don't want this to get misconstrued. Don't want this to get confused. With anything, I am a very, a very serious advocate against domestic violence. Uh, but also, you have to look at it case by case, and you have to let the guy uh, have his day in court. It's innocent until proven guilty. But this shouldn't be looked at. This shouldn't be looked at as, uh, you know, now domestic violence victims are, are going to be scared to to come out. No, they always been scared to come out. But what what this does is hopefully it shows that you can't rely on people's sympathy and just taking your word for it automatically. You know, it, it really it, it goes both ways. And, and she shouldn't have lied. Uh, and, and, and 
I don't know, man. It's just, it just really upset me. What, 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 what? The reactions that I've seen. So, but anyways, I'm, I'm happy for the news that Ruben Foster looks like he's, um, hopefully, you know, not go to trial. We'll see next Wednesday. And uh, yeah, man, that, that, that's just, uh, that's just my take on it, man. Go ahead, JD. I know you got something hot for him. One of the biggest foundation pieces in this country is that we we are supposed to treat people in these type of situations as if they are innocent until proven guilty. That is one of the, the biggest things that this country can lay their hat on is their policy of innocent until proven guilty. But in today's social media-driven, knee-jerk, re- knee-jerk reactionary world that we live in, it seems like we've kind of forgotten that. It seems like, you know, as soon as we have some details, we just create our own create our own opinions and what's out there on Twitter, what's out there on Facebook, that's reality. So when details come out that Reuben Foster commits domestic violence allegedly, and it, 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 it makes everyone go into an outrage, it automatically means that Reuben Foster is guilty. And that's not the way this country was built. That's not, that's not the way this country intended the legal process to go. Again, innocent until proven guilty. And if you listen to this podcast a month ago, we said that you have to let due process play out. We said you have to let the legal process play out because we don't know all the facts. And lo and behold, on May 17th, we learned all the facts, and here we are with Reuben Foster likely going to be exonerated of all of these charges, and Reuben Foster, it's looking like he's going to be back on the field for the San Francisco 49ers. I said it a month ago that I felt, you know, at the end of all of this, Reuben Foster is going to be a free man, and, and this was going to go away, and here we are. We found out that she lied. We found out that she just wanted to get some money out of Reuben Foster. We found out that she has a a track record of this sort of behavior of lying and falsely accusing ex-boyfriends who want to break off the relationship. She cannot be trusted. Now, of course, when all these charges first came out, we didn't know these things about Alicia Ennis. But what we've learned about Alicia Ennis since then is that she is the one who needs to be looked at differently. She is the one who needs the book thrown at her. She's the one who's guilty in this case. And I just want to applaud the San Francisco 49ers for taking the approach that they did in trusting Reuben Foster's side of the story, in sticking by Reuben Foster, and allowing due process and, and the legal proceedings to play out before they made their own knee-jerk reaction. Because if the 49ers did what, uh, what the court of public opinion wanted and cut Reuben Foster immediately after this story you know, came out, Reuben Foster would be looking to sign with another NFL team here shortly. And that would make the Niners 
look look very very foolish. So I just want to applaud John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan for doing things uh, the American way, treating Ruben as though he's innocent until proven guilty. Because that's that's what you're supposed to do in this country. And uh, you know I want to get into something a little bit different uh, in terms of this story. You guys kind of talked about uh, what, what happened during the court hearings and, and gave some of those details. I want to talk about the witch hunt that was, uh, that was there against Reuben Foster by members of the media. Now, you guys know me. I am a journalist in my own right. I've written for several newspapers. I've covered professional athletes. Uh, you know, and, and as a journalist, your job is to find the story and report the facts, not to sit up on your own soapbox, your own personal moral high horse, and uh, you know slander people in the media because you have a platform. So I, I want to talk about the witch hunt that was out there against Reuben Foster, whether that was Tim Kawakami, whether that was Ann Killian, whoever. People automatically said when this news dropped back in February that the Niners need to cut ties with Reuben Foster immediately. And since then, I mean, you go on Twitter every day, you see these, these so-called journalists spewing uh, things that were not factual and, and making statements that, that, quite frankly, you know, were, were character assassination attempts against Reuben Foster. People thought they knew the story. They thought they knew everything, but it turns out they didn't. And as journalists, that, that is the most irresponsible thing that you can do is go out there without the facts and pretend that you know what the facts are. As a journalist, you're supposed to find the actual story. You're supposed to report what is true and what is not. So to those people, that, that basically tried to uh, assassinate Reuben Foster's character in the media, shame on you. And, and particularly, I'm speaking to Ann Killian of the San Francisco Chronicle. Now, she is one of many female sports writers that I've read since this story broke that, that stood on their moral high horse and, and, and destroyed... Reuben Foster publicly. They, they wanted to burn him at the cross for allegedly committing domestic violence. Now, I, I get it. Domestic violence and, and, and laying your hands on a woman is not okay. I am not in favor of that, and I don't know a single person in my life that is okay with that. Nobody's okay with domestic violence. But to go out there and, and say the things that she said about Reuben Foster and not budge from, from her opinions and not offer a sincere apology in, in the light of all these details that have come out, it, it makes Ann Killian look really bad. I mean, there were stories that, that she wrote for the Chronicle that, that just painted Reuben Foster in this terrible light. And... You know, she, she publicly shamed the 49ers for their position in the Reuben Foster saga. She says that 
the Niners' response to all of these allegations in February was unprofessional. That the Niners wanting to use the loophole of due process, you know, in, in holding on to their star athlete was unprofessional. I just I just want to ask Ann Killian one thing. Since when is is uh, due process and treating someone as if they are innocent until proven guilty, since when is that unprofessional? As far as I'm concerned, that's American. That's what this country was built on. So, Ann Killian, I don't care if you're a man. I don't care if you're a woman. I don't care if you're white, green, purple, blue. You're a joke. You are an absolute joke. You are a disgrace to the profession of journalism. You didn't do the fact-checking that you were supposed to do. You did not reserve judgment until all the facts came out. If it was up to you, they'd throw away Reuben Foster. You know, they put him in jail and throw away the key. Even now, even after all this testimony by Ennis on Thursday, you still want Reuben to be guilty. You have not offered a sincere public apology. You have not budged off of your soapbox. And, 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 and the headline in, in one of your most recent articles stating that the testimony in the Reuben Foster trial or Reuben Foster hearing was a setback for domestic violence victims everywhere. Basically saying that, you know, Ennis got paid off, that Ennis, uh, you know, didn't, uh, didn't go through with it, and, and it's a setback for domestic violence victims everywhere. Basically painting the picture that you still think Reuben's guilty. You want him to be guilty in the worst way. Because you want you want someone to, to you know to point your finger at, and you don't want to look like an ass in the media and in the public like you you know you are right now. Period. And I'm not the only person that feels this way. If you listen to John Middlecoff, formerly of uh, 95.7 The Game, now he does things on KMBR, has his own podcasts with Guy Haberman. John Middlecoff has not hold you know has not, has not held back his opinions on Ann Killian. Tim Kawakami, who originally, you know, was part of the, brig the br brigade against Reuben Foster, has come out and sincerely apologized for his stance. Why? Because the facts are out there now. And he, he, he recognizes that he was wrong. And he applauded the Niners for, for their stance. But yet Ann Killian still wants Reuben Foster to be guilty. I don't understand how she still has a job at the San Francisco Chronicle. I don't she I don't know if they what they intend on doing with her. I don't know if they're going to suspend her or perhaps hold her out of the the paper for a while, maybe ultimately fire her. But her stance on this whole thing is really ugly. If you go on Twitter and you just scroll through her her tweets and and, and the mentions and and everything you see what kind of a person that she is. And you see that everyone that is tweeting at Ann Killian feels kind of the same way that I do. And I just think that it's a joke that as a journalist, she didn't live up to what she's supposed to do. Report the facts. Not come with an opinion. Not uh, try and, you know, 
defame Reuben Foster's character the way that she did. And I get it. Reuben Foster is a young, rich, black athlete. And in this day and age, you know, that's that's almost like a death sentence, kind of. Because these guys don't get the benefit of the doubt. They don't get innocent until proven guilty. And uh, Ann Killian, just... You are a disgrace to the field of journalism. I hope that you never work in the town of San Francisco again. And um, I, I just I hope you get what's coming to you. And I know that's a strong take. And I know that, you know, that that's a lot to take in. I just feel a certain way about this. And I feel a certain way about what a journalist is supposed to do. And, I and not, only, that, not only that, JD, my bad, not only that, brother, but uh, <laughs> she's, Ann Killian is writing a book with Hope Solo, and you already know her background and what she's been accused of, and, and, and nobody's bringing this up. It, it's just beyond ridiculous. It, 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 I agree with everything you said. It, it's just beyond ridiculous what journalism, what, what these people are doing for anything, for click, clickbaits. Uh, I mean, just, it's just ridiculous. And, and it's like they joined the whole uh, Tiki Torch thing to get Reuben Foster uh, guilty. And they're upset about it. That's what kills me. Why not just, hey, you know what? We're against domestic violence. We're, you know, it seemed like, you know, with the, with the whole, with a lot of NFL players, hey, you know, with their past, I'm sorry that we assumed you were guilty. No, none of that. None of that at all. And and, and it, it just, it pisses me off. It really does. And, and, you know, Ann Killian was not the only female sports writer that I saw that had this opinion. And look, I get it. Women are sensitive to this topic. Everyone in America is sensitive to domestic violence. Nobody's okay with it. But particularly, I see, I saw a lot of women sports writers, women journalists, you know, painting with the same brush. They assume that Ruben was guilty just because they've seen it too many times. And I, and I understand that. But to not come out with a sincere public apology and, and, and just own up and say, hey, I was wrong. And I'm, and I'm sorry that I, you know, falsely, you know, accused or, or tried to, uh, you know, create character assassination of, of Ruben Foster. It's, it's a joke. So that's just kind of what I have to say to the journalists that have been out there, you know, trying to burn Ruben at the stake. Um, unless you guys have anything else to add, uh, we can move on on to second down. But, uh, guys, I mean, do you have anything else that you, you want to add before we move on? I'll say one thing uh, for Brother JP. Um, maybe time to eat some crow, because I do remember one on the earlier episodes, you're saying he paid her off. <laughs> so... Yeah, I'll load up to that. Yeah, I did. In in the earlier episodes, I did say uh, I did say that he paid her off um, when she when she did come out um, not too long after. She said, "Hey, you know, uh, um, everything I said was a lie." This and that, and I thought, I don't know, it's kind of fishy. You don't really see that too often. You know what I mean? Uh, you don't really see people come out too often. But now that we have more detail, um, I, I'll definitely eat some crow. You know what I mean? I did jump to the gun a little bit. But uh, now we have more information on, on, on everything, especially the fact that she's done this before. 
she's she's you know put other guys uh careers and lives in jeopardy for her her own well-being and uh and and the that's 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 a big factor but I agree, Tone. Call me out, all you guys. All of us, <laughs> go ahead and call me out. I I, I deserve it. Um, he definitely didn't pay her off. The truth comes out, and uh, yeah, now it's 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 big time. It's big time. But yeah, and and, and exactly, just touching on exactly whatever all you guys have been saying. I I can't agree with you more. You have to let the process play out. But I think the way that, uh, especially social media is at the moment, it's such a fast paced environment, and everyone wants. Uh, resolution so quickly. Everyone wants the answers now. And the fact that everyone wants everything this moment, um, I think that that's the case where they, they just come out and say, you need to do something. That's, I mean, you know, everybody, there was a bunch of, the bu- bunch of reporters came out. Niners need to cut, cut Ruben Foster. They need to do this. They need to do that. You know, not, this is horrible by the Niners. Well, who has egg on their face now? The reporters. And especially the Santa Clara DA office, they're just, you know, they could easily with, with everything that happened uh, this past Thursday, easily, they could have just came out and said, boom, case is closed. You're innocent, but they're prolonging this. They're trying me personally. I know the, the judge is reviewing everything, but I think there's, she's, they're trying to pick out every little thing that they can to see if they can charge something. So this, so this isn't just a big waste of time. So, they are the real people with their eggs on their face. There is some people on Twitter with also eggs on their face, but you know, a lot of people did come out and apologize and whatnot. But, but yeah, that's me, Ruben. I'm sorry if you're listening. I'm sorry. I trust you. Now go ball out, baby. Go ball out. Now, hashtag JP loves Foster again. <laughs> now that that kind of goes ties back into the witch hunt thing real quick, and I'm just going to hit on this real quick, and then we can move on. The, the district attorney, he was told two days after Ennis initially made these allegations, Ennis went back to him and said, look, I made this up. I want to recant my story. But at that point, the DA, he wanted to make a name for himself. And he thought, you know what? I have a big, black, rich athlete, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a name for myself, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this guy. He thought he had something. Even though Ennis went back two days later and said, look, I, I want to take this all back. I want to make it go away. I, I didn't mean any of it. He didn't care. He thought, he thought he had everything he needed to have. And he kept pushing this and pushing this and pushing this. As far as I'm concerned, the district attorney of Santa Clara needs to lose his job. Because he didn't do his job. He didn't listen to Ennis when Ennis said, hey, I got into a fight the night before. He didn't listen to Ennis when Ennis said that she made it all up and wanted to recant her story. He is one of the biggest proponents to the witch hunt of Reuben Foster. And uh, eggs on your face now, buddy. So, um, and, and that, that's, that's all we really wanted to get into here with the, the Reuben Foster drama. Of course, we'll, we'll be back next week with the overall conclusion, I'm guessing, of, of this story. Because this is not going to go to trial. There's no way this goes to trial. The charges will be dropped, and, and Reuben Foster will be uh, getting ready to play some football this year. That's that's just the way I'm looking at it, and I know that's how JP and Tone are looking at it. So with that, we're going to wrap up uh, the first down, and we are going to move into second down. Okay. 
now we can actually talk about some football-related stuff, some stuff that, uh, you know, actually revolves around the San Francisco 49ers, not a courtroom. Uh, Niners Nation on Twitter came out with a, a link, came out with a story that the San Francisco 49ers are going to be unveiling a new alternate uniform for this upcoming season in replace of the uh, ever-so-popular, and you can hear the enthusiasm in my voice, the ever-so-popular black jerseys. Uh, now, a lot of uh, rumors have gone around. People are speculating, trying to figure out what those jerseys, those, those uniforms may be. Um, but if you connect the dots, like some have, and you look on the front of Levi Stadium where they've put up two huge banners that have the new slogan of Faithful Then and Faithful Now, you see that on the Faithful Then side of the banner, it shows uh, some of the players from yesteryear and Joe Montana. I believe it's Joe Montana, um, Jerry Rice, and I think Ronnie Lott. I could be wrong. But uh, those players were wearing the 1975 – or not, I'm sorry, the, uh, the the 75th anniversary jerseys from the 1994 season, excuse me. Um, and if you connect the dots and you, and you look at the Faithful Now banner with the current jerseys, the, the rumor is that the Niners are going to be bringing back those 1994 jerseys. And let me tell you, that's the look. That's, that's the way this team needs to go. I don't want to see any other uniform other than those red jerseys with the white numbers, the black border, and those white pants with the red stripes. That's such an iconic, classic look in the history of this team. And, uh, man, if they're going to announce those the, the, uh, the uniform during the, the State of the 49ers address on May 23rd. So May 23rd overall is going to be a huge day in the 49ers offseason. Not only are they holding the, the State of the Niners address, which we're going to get into here uh, shortly, but they're also going to unveil those new uniforms. And Reuben Foster is going to have those charges dropped all in the same day. So May 23rd is going to be a huge day for Niner fans everywhere. But I am excited to see what those uniforms are going to be. JP, man, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the news that we're going to unveil a new alternate uniform and uh, the potential that they are the – 75th anniversary 1994 style jerseys oh boy man um i'm pumped you know when we when they when they came out uh last year um hyping up these we you know we had different types of jersey alternate jerseys i was crossing my fingers hoping and praying that it was those 1994 throwbacks but it was those black ones which i know jd you're a little skeptical on i kind of liked them they they you know they were all right I know they're not your classic 49ers, but but yeah, if they definitely bring back this '94, this is this is a perfect omen to 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 the you know 1994 Niners. Steve Young, I mean that's so iconic. Steve Young in the you know in the Super Bowl, um, just rocking those those red uh, with the white pants. Uh, oh, they're just it's just one of, one of my favorite jerseys of all time. Um, it's just it's great, and and that it's, it'll be perfect, like you said. They have, you know, the the faithful then, the faithful now. I mean, all all signs are pointing towards this being it. So we'll just have to wait and see. But I'm pumped. I'll, I'll, I'm definitely gonna grab me uh, uh, one of the jerseys, and it just it just looks so nice when you have, you know, Garoppolo out there rocking the jerseys and stuff. One thing I'm interested in is if they're gonna go with away jerseys, 
wear their, you know, the white tops, white, white pants, or if we're going to, you know, uh, just have the home jerseys where it's the red tops and white pants. Um, it's going to be interesting. And you know, it's funny people, uh, you know, some Niner players in social media, I think, uh, um, Goodwin, to be exact. I know he posted some pictures of of uh, a Photoshop picture of himself uh, in the all whites Niners Niners uniforms from 1994. So the players are hyped. Maybe they know something that we don't know. Maybe they got a little inside scoop on on something. I don't know. But man, that would be exciting. Uh, JD said it exactly. Next Wednesday, it's going to be some exciting times for the Niners. Hopefully, some good times. Uh, we know with Ruben and and uh, the state of the franchise, and it's it's. It's just an exciting time. It's a little, little, uh, little bit of excitement here in the off season, which we don't really get too much of. But uh, we'll see. Uh, Tone, what what are the, what do those throwbacks mean to you, man? They're so iconic. What what are your thoughts on these uh, nineteen ninety four throwbacks? Hopefully coming back. Well, that was the last uh, Super Bowl team um, with those throwbacks, and I remember as a kid that was, I mean, that's the only Super Bowl win that I remember. I was about six, seven, about seven years old at the time. And uh, th- those always will have a special meaning to me uh, just for the simple fact that those were, you know, we won the Super Bowl uh, in those. And I remember watching those as a kid, seeing all those great players and, uh, you know, just seeing Steve Young, Jerry Rice, Brent Jones, John Taylor, uh, Ricky Waters, you know, and then, uh, of course, on defense, my favorite player as a kid was number 36, Merton Hanks and him doing the, the chicken head in, in those jerseys. I, I still remember that. And I, and I remember playing football, uh, you know, as a kid, you know, whether it was at the park or at recess and always trying to imitate that. <laughs> and, 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 you know, my dad getting me a, a, a number 21 Jersey with uh, Deion Sanders, you know, in, in those old school, you know, in those jerseys. And the cool thing about, um, uh, the 94 jersey, and I really hope it, it is true, and I hope it happens, um, is, you know, I've always been a, a, a uniform kind of traditional guy. And the cool thing about that is those uniforms originated from the 1950s, you know, the white, tittle, million-dollar backfield type days. And and they brought it back in 94 for the 75th year. And what's cool was that we started off the season that year uh, I, I want to say two and two. And then we decided to wear the throwbacks and we just, we were winning every game, you know, the rest of the season, um, except for the, the last game of the year where we rested our starters. But, uh, you know, it was, a uh, uh, George Seifert had this, you know, um, kind of like a, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, he had a, uh, kind of like, uh, the jinx. <clears throat> he didn't want to jinx the, the season. And so with the whole uniform, we started winning and winning. He, we partitioned to the NFL and was like, Hey, <clears throat> this is something we want to wear. So it, it, it's, it became iconic uh, with our Super Bowl. And then a couple years later, when we fully changed our uniform, uh, we kind of did a, like a newer version of it, um, you know, and changed the face mask and all that. But uh, I, I'm excited. I, I, I want to see, if uh, they do do the red or the all whites, I would love to see both. Um, you know me, I'm, I'm a traditional guy. I, uh, our uniforms right now, I absolutely love. They 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 look, feel, and remind me of the 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 
70s, 80s, early 90s uniforms, the classic 49er uniform. And I think they did a great job, um, um, you know, modernizing it, kind of how Pittsburgh Steelers did with their jerseys and their actual font numbers and stuff. They, you know, it's, it still feels the same type of jersey, still feels the same. And so if they bring these back as some alternates, I, I, I'm totally with it. I'm super excited. And, and you know, you have the, the best of both worlds. You know, you're wearing basically the same uniform you wore with the first four Super Bowls and you're wearing one with the very last one. And the cool thing about this is the NFL helmet, the, the NFL rule, they, they have the one helmet rule. And, you know, you can wear these with, you know, the regular helmets. So you don't have to change that. So I just think it makes the most sense, uh, way better than the black jerseys, even though the black jerseys did kind of grow on me. And uh, I, I'm totally happy. So we'll see what the state of the franchise will see Wednesday night. Hopefully we get some good news on Ruben Foster and get some good news on the uniforms. And, yeah, everything everything will be happy until uh, preseason. So, yeah, I'm excited for the new uniforms. Yeah, we can't wait. And uh, let me tell you, if it is indeed the 1994 throwbacks, uh, there's going to be a lot of people – needing to beat me in line to get a Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo number 10 jersey in that style. Let me tell you, I, I, you know, you're going to have to really try hard to beat me in line to get one of those. So um, we're excited about that here on the Forever Faithful podcast. And uh, we're just glad that uh, there's some positive things coming out of uh, the, the world of the 49ers. So with that, uh, we're going to wrap this one up and we're going to move on into third down. All right, guys, here on third down, we've already kind of, you know, mentioned it a little bit, but on Wednesday, May 23rd, next week, the Niners are holding their annual State of the 49ers address down in San Jose. Uh, It's going to be led by Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch coming in, uh, announcing, uh, you know, where the team is at, kind of the state of the the franchise address, uh, what's going on with the team, where they're headed. Uh, any, any sort of news that they can give. It's going to be a big fan event. A lot of fans and season ticket holders are going to be in attendance. Multiple players are going to be there, including Jimmy Garoppolo and Richard Sherman and Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey, uh, Kyle Juszczyk. Multiple other players are going to be there. So it's it's going to be a huge fan event. And uh, our own 49er Tone is going to be there as well. So if you would like to, uh, you know, Meet, meet one of the, the hosts of the Forever Faithful podcast. He's going to be there. I'm sure he'll be tweeting from the event, taking some video pictures, what have you. Uh, but Tone, man, uh, you're going to be there. What, what are your thoughts on uh, the upcoming State of the 49ers address? Well, I'm excited. Um, you know, th- this has just happened by chance. I've seen some tickets were available uh, for general mission, so I don't know how that's going to work with the season ticket holders, but – you know, I just, it was only five bucks. I was like, hey, you know what? I, I, I live not far from where they're hosting it in downtown San Jose. And, uh, yeah, I get off work early enough. Might as well uh, go check it out. I, I actually liked, I enjoyed last year's State of the Franchise. And uh, not to bring up the Singletary years either, but I, I remember when Singletary had one with uh, Balky. I enjoyed that one too. And kind of gave us a little hope when, you know, we know how that went. But, uh, you know, last year's was nice. Uh, and and now uh, Wednesday I'll be there in person. 
Uh, I'm very excited just to hear the team, just to hear, see the players, you know, have them answering uh, questions from the fans, have them talking to the fans, talking about the upcoming season. Um, you know, it's just a feel good. You know, this is the what they determine baseball, the dog days of summer. You know, this is what this is. You know, we, we got a break until, you know, training camp comes and preseason comes and stuff. So we got a little time. So this is like a feel good, man. This is this is getting me excited for football, uh, even though I am ex- already excited, but it's getting me more excited. And uh, this is a nice event to see fellow, you know, our fellow uh, people that we tailgate with at the games, you know, just kind of like an all overall get, you know, get together, man. So I'm very excited, man. I know they'll be streaming live um, on multiple platforms. You know, the Fortnite will be streaming it live so anybody can watch it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. I, I'm see what I can do to uh, get some footage. JP, man, uh, you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I know that uh, next week we'll have more of a breakdown of the state of the 49ers address because we'll we'll have you know seen it and, and knew what they got into the topics that they discussed. But uh, JP, do you have any any initial thoughts on, on the upcoming address? Yeah, man. I, like you said, you know, next week we'll have a little bit more in depth talk about it. But I, I think this is perfect, man. I, I like what they're doing. Um, like Tone said, they they've had this before. Um, back in the Singletary days and, and, and a little bit farther back too, but I, it's just, it's good, man. And you, you get, I mean, I remember last year Staley was up there. He was joking, being himself, just being funny. I think it's, it's good. And it's, uh, it, it just, you know, brings the Niners together kind of like a family, you know what I'm saying? Um, it takes, takes the fan uh, aspect out of it. And it's kind of just like a big family in a room, just, you know, talking, um, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, I think they were, especially last year, um, Shanahan was real down to earth. You know, uh, Lynch was real down to earth. They're all just talking, um, kind of shooting the shit, man. And it's it's cool. It's something, something cool to look at, uh, something, something to watch as well, get you excited for, as if we're not already excited for the season, but to get you a little bit more excited for the season, um, which is, which is kind of cool. And then, you know, to add on top of that, they're throwing in the jerseys like that, uh, you know, Thrown in the New Jersey's and and all that. It's 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 an it's exciting time, definitely for sure. Um, but yeah, we'll have more on what they talk about uh, on next week's podcast. So stay tuned for that. But it's uh it's, it's exciting time here in uh, in in, in Ninerland. Now, uh, before we wrap this up here, just just one one quick thing. We mentioned that uh, the state of the Niners address is on May twenty third, which is also the same day of Ruben Foster's next court appearance. And, you know, all likelihood, the charges are going to be dropped and, and Ruben will not be proceeding to trial. So things should be wrapped up with Ruben, Ruben Foster that day. But uh, how how entertaining would it be if Ruben Foster, you know, has the charges dropped, he's essentially a free man, and he just runs down there to San Jose and barges into the state of the 49ers address and he's like, hey, I'm back, bitches. That would be so classic. That would be hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I doubt it happens, but uh, it would be funny. It'd be it'd be a funny way to uh, to wrap up his whole legal saga and just uh, you know kind of put a bow on it and, and and get people excited for this upcoming season of 49er football. I feel like the Reuben Foster story has kind of been a dark cloud over our off season, and I feel like this state of the Niners address is going to kind of be you know, the light at the end of the tunnel and it's going to be, you know, 
the the separation of the clouds and the sun's going to start shining down and the optimism's going to come and it's just it's going to be that at that point where you're saying all right the season's coming let's do this guys i feel like that's what that day is going to represent so i'm excited for it i'll be streaming it online uh, unfortunately i can't make it down there um, but we're looking forward to it here on the forever faithful podcast and with that we're going to wrap up third down All right, everybody, it is now fourth down here on the Forever Faithful Podcast. And this week, we happen to have a couple questions from the faithful. So uh, we want to get into those here uh, pretty big for you guys. Uh, a couple questions that we're each going to answer. Uh, the first question uh, the first question is that, uh, you were, that we were predicting the 49ers record. Uh, what are our predictions for Jimmy Garoppolo's stats this year? Uh, JP, why don't you uh, go into that one first? Yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo's stats. That's a good question. Thank you. Uh, you know, I don't think, you know, last year he, you know, he only played, what, five games for us. So I think those interceptions, he, you know, his interception total was kind of high. And I, I saw a lot of uh, media members on, on Twitter uh pointing that out saying you know hey you know his touchdown to inter interception ratio was was not not too favorable for him um but the thing is you have to realize you know he we we, we traded for him in in October so he had hardly any time I mean I think he sat out maybe three or four games behind CJ um before he actually jumped in um so you know he didn't have much time to really know the playbook now the off season, I think we mentioned this, you know, either last podcast or, or you know a couple podcasts before. He's got the whole playbook now. He's got the whole playbook to to realize what's going on. Um, there was reports out that he's, you know, in the off season after practice, he's going with his wide receivers and and practicing um, off site. So he he's he's developing some chemistry with with you know with the wide receiving core, um, especially with a young wide receiving core too. Got Kendrick Bourne out there, uh, Victor Bolden, who's who's out there with him, uh, another guy who's kind of on that roster bubble. So he's 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 you know getting some chemistry with these guys. So I, I think that interception total is gonna it's gonna go down a little bit, um, and hopefully you know intercept. Uh, hopefully the touchdowns will go up, um, which is kind of a no brainer. He'll probably play the whole season. So the whole season, I, I'm I, I'm not one with for numbers, but I I can guarantee you that he'll have. I don't know, let's say somewhere between 20 to 25 touchdowns. That would be a little generous, but I'll take that. Um, and and under, I, I'm, I'm predicting under 10 interceptions for him. I know maybe, you know, Kyle Shanahan's system, I don't know if we're going to be, you know, gunslinging or whatnot, but uh, that seems the way of the NFL nowadays. But I'm, I'm predicting under 10, under 10 picks. He sat behind Tom Brady. Tom Brady, you know, is really efficient with his, with, you know, being a quarterback and and I think uh I think he's learned from the best so I think he can uh keep those interceptions down um I'm just excited that we have like I said you know I mentioned this in you know one of our first podcasts I'm just excited we have a quarterback now that uh you know with this type of caliber of play we haven't had this since you know Garcia and or Young you know dating back to then so um those are my predictions interception total under 10 uh about 20 to 25 touchdowns. Uh, JD, what are your, give me your predictions. 
Well, we saw last year that Jimmy is very accurate in the short to intermediate range in terms of throwing the football. Where Jimmy gets into trouble is when he's trying to push the ball down the field. Now, I don't necessarily know if that comes from arm strength or just a, a lack of, of accuracy throwing down the field deep, or if it comes from you know being new to the team, learning a new playbook, learning his new receivers, what have you. But um, I feel like Jimmy Garoppolo does have a little bit of that gunslinger in him. He likes to kind of uh, go out there and, and whip it around a little bit. So I feel like Jimmy Garoppolo's numbers this next season are going to be somewhere around 24, 25 touchdowns. And I would put the number of interceptions right around 12. That's just my guess. I think that Jimmy's going to kind of get himself maybe in trouble at times because he's, he's a confident player. And he's going to try and fit those balls into windows that, that aren't necessarily there. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'd love to see Jimmy, you know, throw uh, single-digit interceptions. But I just feel like, uh, you know, like you said, this day and age, the NFL, they push the ball down the field a lot. And I feel like Jimmy kind of has that gunslinger in him. So I think right around 12 interceptions is kind of the number. Uh, Tone, what about you, man? Yeah, no, I agree about the gunslinger, but I think you guys are kind of underestimating Jimmy a little bit, in my personal opinion. My prediction, I would say probably about, I want to go about 30 to 32 touchdowns, and I'm thinking maybe about 15 interceptions. And the reason being is, like you said, he's a gunslinger. He's going to go down the field. There's going to be times where you're going to have to force the ball there. And, you know, NFL defenses, they, they, they get paid the same way as the offense does. So, you know, I, I think I think over time the interception, to, uh, the interception total will go down, you know, maybe next year, year after that. But I think for this year with the full offseason, the first full offseason under Kyle Shanahan, um, I think the accuracy is there for the touchdowns. I just think, you know, when you take those chances, sometimes you get burned. And uh, I, I think about 15, maybe 14, 15 interceptions. But, yeah, I'm looking at 30, 32 touchdowns. Uh, I believe that, I believe in this offense. Uh, I believe that we will be um, – I believe we'll, we will be able to get over our red zone, uh, you know, deficiencies. I believe we will – I believe the play calling, I believe the additions we got with uh, McKinnon coming out of the backfield – I, I just I just see Jimmy having a, a, a really breakout year. As far as interceptions is gonna be, I believe it's gonna be around there, but I do believe it will be um coming down in years to come. Maybe maybe Jimmy eventually will get to a single digit. Now, uh one one thing that I wanted to mention real quick, I feel like the baseline for yardage for Jimmy this year is gonna be right around four thousand, forty two hundred. We haven't had a quarterback throw for that many yards in over 15 years, so I think that's that's uh, something that's also uh, going to be expected. I think Jimmy's going to you know put up some yardage numbers that we haven't seen out here in the Bay Area in a really long time. Um, yep, yep. With that though, that question came from Richie Cummins on Twitter. So Richie, thank you very much uh, for the question. We appreciate it, and uh, thank you for interacting with with us there on, on social media. Uh, the second question that we have comes from uh let's see here it comes from daniel d trinidad on facebook and he asks he asks us each uh jp tone and, and jd can you remember your first niner game that you went to um i'll, I'll take this one first uh, i mean i went to games as a young kid i got to see steve young and, and jerry rice play 
Uh, I know I went to games during that, that 1994 season with my grandfather, uh, but I was a young kid back then. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to give you the, the first game that I legitimately, you know, legitimately remember going to appreciating and enjoying, uh, you know, as a slightly older child. Uh, in 2001, I was 14 years old and I attended the season opener that year, which uh, was against the Atlanta Falcons. And if anybody remembers what the uh, Atlanta Falcons were doing in 2001 that year, that was the season that they drafted Michael Vick number one overall. And, of course, he didn't start that game as the starter. Chris Chandler was the starter for the Falcons uh, that game. But it was the first game in Michael Vick's career, and he did see some snaps during that game. So I can say that I was there at Candlestick Park in 2001 during Michael Vick's first ever NFL regular season game. So that was the first game I, that I you know, remember uh, in terms of uh, being old enough to appreciate it. Uh, JP, what about you, man? Real quick, before I get on to that, uh, to my first game, real quick on the last question, uh, I, I do, I'm just trying to win over some fans since everyone thinks I hate Jimmy Garoppolo still. Just trying to win over some fans, okay? That's all I'm trying to do. But but no, uh, seriously, my, my favorite game I've been to, or uh, my first game that I've been to, I've been to a bunch um, in the 96 season. Um, but the one that really stands out to me is in the 1997 season. Um, me and my dad went down. Um, it was later in the year. Um, I think it was like week 16, week 17. Um, it was a Monday night football game, and they were retiring Joe Montana's jersey. I don't know why. I'll, ne- I'll never forget it. I was sitting in the, the end zone, and the halftime comes, and they just raise this humongous number 16 49er jersey that's hanging. And uh, I, I don't know. That's something that will, will always stick in my memory. Um, the fans going nuts. The num- number 16 jerseys everywhere. Um, that's just something that uh, one of my very first memories. Um, and I think we, we ended up winning that game, too, uh, towards the end of the – I think that was uh, one, of, one of Steve Young's last season. I think he played one more season for us. Um, but, yeah, that was, a, that was a great game. And that was one of my, my very first uh, memories of a, of a Niner game at Candlestick, uh, watching, uh, watching them retire Joe Montana's jersey. So that's definitely, uh, definitely up there. Uh, what about you, Tone? Hey, man, that, that was a, a great first game, man. Uh, I believe Jerry Rice came back uh, after that injury in Tampa, came back weeks later, and uh, I believe he even scored a touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. I think he, I know he got re-injured in that game, but, man, that's a hell of a first game, bro. Um, mine, I, I still remember I was living in uh, 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 North Oakland at the time, and um, I remember – my mom telling me to go ahead and get ready. Uh, just go ahead and get ready. Uh, your dad's picking you up. It's a surprise. So I, my dad got tickets to 19, in 1994 preseason game against the Seattle Seahawks. And it was at Candlestick. And I, I never been to a game. Always, you know, as a little kid was a fan. And uh, never been to a game, but I remember waiting for my dad being excited, didn't have no clue on uh, what the surprise was. And I remember him picking me up and and uh, we got into San Francisco, still didn't know. And all of a sudden driving uh, 
on the freeway, you start seeing the candlestick lights in the background. And uh, right then and there, I, I knew it. I, I knew it. And I was so excited, was so happy. And I, I still remember uh, tailgating with my dad, uh, throwing the football around in the parking lot. Um, I still remember where we sat. Uh, we sat on the bleacher side. You know, back then, the 49ers used to wear the white uniforms in all the preseason and then wear the reds, you know, during the season because you had to earn that red. But I remember that game, for some reason, George Seifert had the 49ers wearing their red jerseys um, in preseason. I, I, I remember seeing Steve Young, Jerry Rice, you know, all those greats, man. And that was my very first memory going to uh, – that was my very first game ever going was uh, to see – the Seahawks and what's funny is that they it turns out that they be you know decades later they become one of our bitter rivals <laughs> but uh yeah that was my very first memory that was that's something I always hold special uh to me and uh yeah that that was that was the the greatest surprise my dad ever did and then the cool thing about that like even back then was there was no stub hub, no internet, no you know 49er games you could, it was hard to get a ticket. You couldn't get a ticket. So you know, my dad scored one for my uncle Mike. May he rest in peace. Uh, he told him to go ahead and give him uh, take your son, go to the go to the game, and it was preseason, but still we had we had a ball, man. So definitely, uh, definitely shaped my fanhood seeing all those and players, and you know, that's you know always a special moment to me. All right, well there you have it. Uh, thank you, Daniel, for the question, and we encourage everybody that follows us on social media to interact with us. Look for uh, the, the posts on social media in the days leading up to the, each and every podcast each week. Uh, you know, we put it out there for you asking uh, if there's anything that the faithful want to know and any questions that they have. So be on the lookout for those. Be sure to leave your comments and questions and what have you. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if we feel it was a good question, you, you'll be featured here on the Forever Faithful podcast during the fourth down segment. So I uh, just want to thank everybody for uh, reaching out to us this week. JP, Tone, man, uh, I, I appreciate uh, you guys coming on this week, man. It was a good one. A lot of lot for us to talk about. And, of course, next week we'll be able to get into more on Reuben Foster, the, the State of the Niners address, and I'm sure that there's going to be even more things to talk about, you know, the new jerseys, what have you. Um, so, uh, unless you guys have any last words, man, we can go ahead and wrap this one up. Yeah, no, just great show, man. Thank you guys. As always, my brothers, man, always a great show. And I can't wait for, uh, next week's episode. Everybody follow the forever faithful podcast on Twitter, Facebook. I mean, we're on multiple social media platforms, iTunes, anchor, overcast, uh, uh, SoundCloud everything and we got a lot more stuff coming in uh coming up soon for you guys so just stay tuned we'll keep you updated but uh yeah thank you guys man it's it's always great talking uh talking with my brothers man yeah exactly y'all thanks for listening it was a great podcast uh thanks to all the li listeners hit us up on uh hit us up on our social media let's interact some let's talk some uh we'll be posting on wednesday so if you want to keep up to date um follow us on on twitter and uh, we'll keep you up to date on uh, on the Ruben situation, on the 49ers uh, union, on the New Jersey's. It's just an exciting time. But, uh, yeah, great podcast, fellas. And uh, see y'all ne next week. J.D., send us out, man. All right. Another good episode, guys. So uh, 
you guys know what it is. Nothing's changed here on the Forever Faithful Podcast. It is one team, one family, and one goal.